All right, so we are in chapter 11. We're still in this stage of interpretation. Um, Of course, we started with observation, interpretation. How can we better interpret God's word? And so today we're going to talk about synthesizing motifs for topical study. A motif is essentially like a theme uh, that we see throughout Scripture, a very common theme. And so we're going to think about how can we uh, we've been talking about, especially in, in this type of study, lends itself toward expositional study as we're studying a passage and we're working through uh, a, a unit by unit approach. But there's times where it's helpful to take a step back and think of Scripture in a topical way as far as these themes and these motifs that are common throughout Scripture. Okay, So it's not exclusive to uh, expositional study, there, there is times where it can be helpful to take a step back and study these motifs in a topical manner, okay? So, you see there in the introduction, uh, I think, I don't know if I have this quote in your notes, I couldn't get everything on the screen, but before this quote on the screen, um, the authors say, while inductive study remains tied to the interpretation of individual text, this doesn't demand an exclusive embrace of exposition as the only approach to the study of God's Word, okay? So it lends toward exposition, but it can be helpful to take a step back and look at some topical approaches as well, okay? So we're going to talk about correlating Scripture when it comes to topical study using thematic correlation, okay? So we've talked a little bit about correlation um, in... uh, some ways, but when we're talking about thematic correlation, we're talking about a little bit of a different goal. We're looking at a theme of Scripture, not just at an individual passage. So the quote on the screen there you see, with thematic correlation, the focus shifts from a purely exegetical goal to a broader synthetic understanding of Scripture. In other words, thematic correlation involves an analysis of topical meaning. Its interests are not the mere interpretation of an individual passage of Scripture, but the interpretation of broader thematic elements within Scripture. It is the interpretation of practical and theological motifs. Okay, so we're looking for themes that we see throughout Scripture and correlating those so we can have a better understanding of what that theme is talking about, what Scripture is communicating, okay? So there are two steps, and I think I have that. I don't have that on the screen, but I think it's in your note. There's two steps, and that's what we're going to break down uh, in these first couple points. Uh, to implementing this idea of thematic correlation. First of all, we have to learn to find relevant themes in the passage. So as we're studying a passage, what are these themes that we see in this passage that we can then take a step back and look for those themes in other places in Scripture? Once we've done that, the second step is learning to synthesize meaning among passages that have a corresponding theme or motif. Okay, We'll look at some examples of this as well. So We'll get to that in just a minute. But first of all, that first step is learning, again, to find relevant themes. So discovering themes within biblical text, okay? And there's four steps to this. You'll see five subpoints, but one is an example. So four steps. First of all, um, and before I do that, let me read this quote in the book. It says, to start with, themes and motifs tend to reflect the interests of biblical writers within a book, collection of books, or the whole canon of Scripture, Prominent themes are supported, developed, and defended. Although themes aren't always stated through explicit means, such as repeated vocabulary, there's a sense of repeated subject matter in the development of a motif. 
It may be conceptual and implied or concrete and explicit, but thematic subject matter will always reflect those ideas that the author really sought to communicate in a discourse. So when we're looking for themes, we're looking for what does this author of this book tend to bring out over and over again? What's this common theme, okay? So the first step there is to pursue relevant content. We need to look for relevant content when it comes to themes and that reveal the interest of biblical authors, not just our own interests. And so the book says you should be careful not to impose topical content onto the text, but rather draw it from the text, okay? So we've talked about this before. We're not reading into the text, uh, starting with a theme that we want to, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? Now let's go and find these uh, proof passages that will support our view. Instead, we're going to look for a common theme that the biblical authors are constantly drawing out, okay? One example that popped into my mind would be and I don't know why this one popped in my mind. Let's say you, you had a topic. Oh, I want to see what the Bible has to say about tattoos. Okay? So then you're going and you're trying to look at anything and everything that talks about tattoos. And from my recollection, there's only really one passage. And I think it's in King James that uses the word tattoos. I'm not sure what the ESV says. But then you would, what, read into that. Okay, you're, you're looking at all this support for this topic. When is the topic of tattoos a, a motif or a common theme in Scripture? Is it hit upon a lot? Probably not, okay? So again, it's not just taking our interests in a topic we want to study. Now let me go find proof passages that will support my view. We're looking for common things in Scripture and pulling out the ideas, okay? All right, so first, pursue relevant content. Secondly, broaden your scope. To find themes and motifs, we have to broaden our scope of view beyond a passage we may be studying to the surrounding passages, okay? So as we're studying a passage in an expositional way, and maybe we see a, a theme there that we want to understand more, we've got to take a step back, and first of all, it starts with, let's look at the units, the literary units before and after them. We've talked about breaking down passages in units. Take a step back, look at, is that theme there in the preceding unit, in the following unit, um, and of course, even broadening it beyond that. So the book says thematic content is rarely obvious in the limited view of a single passage. The discovery of a biblical motif demands a wide-angle lens on the text, even if the primary interpretive interests lie within a single literary unit. So again, we're going to look at an example of this. What we've got to start with is we're studying a text, take it broader. Is this theme uh, really consistent in other places of Scripture? Okay. The next step, think categorically. We have to grow in our familiarity with what categories of biblical themes and motifs exist. So the book says, when you have no idea what biblical motifs might exist in a passage, you're likely, unlikely, to see those motifs when they do exist in a passage. Developing biblical theological awareness takes time and usually corresponds to an ever-growing grasp of biblical content. Okay, So again, the more you become familiar with God's word, the more you're going to see these repetitive themes, okay? A couple examples you see there is in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see this idea of remembrance, or as the book says, the theology of remembrance. Remember what God's done, set up this monument to remember. You could trace this throughout Scripture. And so if you're just studying a passage, that may not stand out to you if you don't have a little bit of a framework of understanding the narrative of Scripture. Another one is the day of the Lord. You see that throughout Old Testament and New Testament. So 
there's an idea of growing in our familiarity with Scripture. The more we study and read, the more we're going to notice these and be able to think categorically when we come to a text, okay? The next one is to look for repetition and contrast. We often discover motifs and themes when recognizing relationships between various themes and motifs. So examples of this would be wisdom and folly in Proverbs. There's a contrast there, and it's a common, it's repeated throughout the book of Proverbs. Law and grace in Paul's epistles, you see that commonly repeated, and you see that contrast. And then it mentions uh, love and hate in John's writings, okay? Think about First John, say, say you love your brother, you know, but, or you say you love God, but you hate your brother. You see that contrast, and so that is a signal that this is a, a theme that we need to study a little bit more in Scripture, okay? The book says, although these stages provide some assistance in drawing themes from Scripture, there's no substitute for experience in discerning thematic content from the rest of the biblical text. A growing sense of biblical and theological literacy is critical to seeing the thematic content in Scripture. So it comes with time. As you read God's Word, as you become more familiar with it, that's really the best way to understand and to recognize these various themes or motifs, okay? So let's look uh, at an example, okay? So you can turn to Galatians chapter 5. So here's a single passage. And we're going to see if we can identify some themes that we could then study in looking at at other passages in Scripture, okay? All right, Galatians 5. And don't look at your notes for this part, okay? Because I think it will give you, I think I did list them out. So try not to look at this part. See if you can figure out, catch some of these themes before look into your notes, okay? Who would read that for me? Galatians 5, 22 to 26. Are you going to volunteer? Go ahead. Uh, Yeah, to verse 26. Okay. So, what are some themes or motifs that might stand out in this passage as as themes that you'd want to study elsewhere in Scripture? Maybe in a topical way. Okay. So... Yeah, the first one is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Um, and the question the book asks is, when, they, when you identify the fruit of the Spirit, is this a topic that you'd want to study? Okay, we're going to study that idea of the fruit of the Spirit elsewhere in Scripture, or are we going to look at the individual fruits, we could say? Some people think it's one fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit, and this is the fleshing out of that. Would you study those individually? And I think that could be beneficial. Let's study love, and let's study joy. But they're definitely very... Um, I think the word the book uses is kind of generic, these words. And so it would be a very broad study. If you're studying love, that's going to be a big study. It's not as specific, okay? So you could do that, or you could study that idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Is there anywhere else in Scripture that talks about fruit, the fruit of the Spirit? Um, Maybe not using that word fruit, but that idea of this is what someone in the Spirit what their life produces, okay? So that's a good one. What others stand out? Fruit of 
Okay, crucifixion of the flesh. Um, very much a New Testament theological motif that uses that imagery of crucifixion to identify the believer with spiritual realities involving his or her relationships with Christ. So what does that mean, crucifixion of the flesh or to crucify the flesh? We're going to come back to that one in a little bit. Um, so, so hold that one in mind, and we'll look at some other ideas of that. Going back to the fruit of the Spirit, one thing I didn't mention as well is studying the fruit of the Spirit would be, and you're, if you're, as you're studying it in a topical way and studying that theme, it's helpful to then look at the contrast in the verses before of the works of the flesh, right? You see those in contrast, so it would be helpful as you're studying that theme to study the works of the flesh as well, okay? So yeah, crucifixion of the flesh, through the Spirit, we'll, hold, we'll come back to crucifixion of the flesh. We're going to look at that example a little more in depth in a minute. What else? You pick out any others? Okay, life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, right? Um, that idea of, of what does that mean? You could study the, that theme and see various passages that touch on that reality. And there's at least one more that the book points out. Probably the least noticeable, but I didn't even catch it. And you can look at your notes if you want. Um, it mainly centers around verse 24. Those who belong to Christ are no, sorry, verse um, 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So you could, in a broad sense, just package that under the umbrella of relationship dynamics, okay? How do we relate to one another as believers, okay? So that could be a study, a thematic study. How are believers supposed to respond to one another? That idea of relationship dynamics, okay? And we see that it points us to uh, even the preceding literary unit in Galatians 5.15, where it says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So you could both study the positive elements of what are we call- how are we called to have relationship with one another, as well as the negative elements, what are we not supposed to, how are we not supposed to behave. So that could be a fruitful study, a theme to study, okay? So you see the quote on the screen Thematic correlation will involve interpreting these themes in light of corresponding text throughout the Bible. But even this begins by examining the context of Galatians on the premise that these motifs reflect the legitimate interest of the author Paul to the church of Galatia. Okay? So we're not just, okay, there's a word, we're going to study it. Is this something that Paul is really emphasizing in the text and in the context? Okay? Then if, if it does seem like, hey, this is really important, to what Paul's communicating, then we want to step back. How does this fit with the rest of Scripture and understanding that idea, okay? All right, the next point there, the next step is after we've discovered them, discovered these relevant motifs, we're going to interpret themes between biblical texts, okay? And so once we determine the themes to be studied for further, further topical study, next we're going to implement the synthetic approach to interpretation, Okay? There's two steps to this. First of all, you see there, we have to accurately interpret the individual references that cover the topic. Secondly, we have to understand the relationship between those passages, okay? So once we've discovered a theme and we've discovered, okay, here's all those, and and this is kind of part of that first step, finding those corresponding passages, okay, we find uh, here's all the other references of crucifixion to the flesh or ideas that touch on that. We're going to lay those out. 
Now we've got to, first of all, let's study that individual passage one at a time to understand the context, to understand what the author's communicating. Once we've done that with all the texts, then we're going to try to collectively do a summary statement, and we're going to get to that in a minute, okay? So let's take it step, a step at a time. First of all, we've got to find corresponding passages, okay? So how would, we, how would we go about that? Let's say you're studying a theme, and let's just use Galatians 5, and let's say, um, and we're going to look at this example, so we'll just take this example, crucifixion of the flesh. How would you go about finding other passages that talk about crucifying your, crucifying your flesh or the crucifixion of the flesh? How might you go about finding corresponding passages? Okay, Google. Is, it, it's actually, um, so that would be one. That's, I'm, it's funny, that's the first one you said. I think that's the last one they mentioned, but that's a good, that's a good one. What else? A concordance, yeah, especially we've talked about using those tools. So what would you look for in a concordance? Say again. Flesh or maybe crucify or crucifixion, okay? We'll get to that in a minute why that can be helpful, but also there can be some things you have to be careful of if you're just studying or if you're just searching for a word. But a cor- uh, concordance can be a helpful tool. Um, there's something called biblical theological dictionaries, They'll actually lay out these themes, and different dictionaries have different themes alphabetically. And so you can use those if you want to study a certain theme. If that theological dictionary has that theme, then it'll be there, and it'll show you different references, okay? Uh, Bible software programs are helpful as well. There might have some search criteria there where you can search there. And then the last one uh, that Debbie mentioned there was just general search engines. A lot of times you can get be helpful Verses on crucifying the flesh, and someone maybe online has already done a lot of the legwork. And so, of course, you have to be careful because you, you make sure the source is trusted, and, but that can be, those can be helpful tools, okay? All right, so we find those passages, and then the next step would be exercise and cross-referencing, okay? So we're going to take our example, Galatians 5, to 26. We're going to take the theme of crucifixion of the flesh, and consider how we would go about studying this theme topically, okay? So if we were to do just a simple word search, um, whether it be in a concordance, or even if you just use an English word search, like if you have a Bible app, you can search, okay, crucify, and it'll show you every verse that says crucify in English. Crucifixion, crucified, whatever forms of that you want to do, or as you mentioned, the flesh. But if we're just thinking about the crucifixion idea, um, Here's what we would come up with, Galatians 2, 19 to 20. And it's help, these are helpful because we see a couple in the same book of the Bible, which definitely reiterates that this is a theme, this is an interest to the author. But Galatians 2, 19 to 20 says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that definitely talks about being crucified to ourselves, being crucified to the flesh. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world's been crucified to me, and I to the world. Romans 6.6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So another Pauline epistle, but 
we see this theme throughout Paul's epistles of being crucified to the flesh, okay? So if we just do a simple word search, these are three that stand out that definitely fit with that theme. But I, I threw this out there. What can be, what less relevant results when it comes to the theme of crucifixion of the flesh might we find by simply searching the word crucify in all its forms? Okay, what less relevant results might we find if we just search crucify or crucifixion that don't really fit the theme of being crucified to the flesh? Yes. Right. You're going to find lots of examples where it's talking about the actual act of Christ being crucified on the cross, which is an important study in and of itself, but it may not fit that idea of being crucified to the flesh and what that means. Okay? So very, very good. What about if we use the word flesh and we just search the word flesh? What might, might we find? What less relevant results to this theme of being crucified to the flesh might we find? Okay, yeah, it's more an external, physical thing than the spiritual flesh of our, our, our human nature, right? Or it may be just speaking to that reality of the flesh, which could be helpful understanding what is this flesh that we're being crucified, you know, what are these things we're putting off. But yeah, you could find different results. And so the whole point of this is to recognize that we've got to use discernment when we're doing this study, when we're searching these themes to not just, okay, here's a verse about crucifixion, here's a verse about the flesh, and now we've got these, all these verses and some are more relevant than others. We've got to use discernment to say, does this really benefit us studying this topic and this theme? Okay, does it really fit what we're trying to do? So the book says, um, by looking up the words crucified, crucifixion, or cross in a concordance, you'll find many more examples of crucifixion language than those cited above, yet we've already made some judgments regarding the relevance of the many texts that speak of crucifixion. That's why we don't list them all. Most are referring to Christ's actual historical crucifixion, and only a few speak to the issue of the believer's experiential self-identification with the crucifixion of Christ. We must discern the relevance of thematic correspondence at the level of contextual meaning rather than simple word repetition. And then it goes on to say, thematic correlation often leads to the analysis of interrelated and interdependent motifs throughout Scripture, okay? So think about that idea of the flesh. We could study the idea of the flesh, and that could be a whole another theme that we're studying uh, by itself, or the crucifixion. That could be a whole theme we're studying by itself. But there's some overlap, because understanding the crucifixion of the flesh, it'd be helpful to understand the elements of our study of the theme of the flesh and understand the idea of crucifixion, right? So they're, they're a lot of times interrelated and interdependent, okay, is what the book's saying. The illustration above demonstrates that the process of finding relevant cross-references involves interpretive judgment being placed on corresponding texts. The danger of thematic correlation is that false connections can be made from wooden observations or that superficial connections are built through the mere observation of common language. Thematic correlation requires careful discernment as to the actual relationship between texts. Okay, so it's not enough just to word search. All right, now let's get all these verses, and now we're going to study all these verses. We want to understand, is this really relevant in this context to that theme that we're studying? Okay, 
Any questions up to this point? And we're going to look at one final concept here that will help us when we're understanding, developing these themes and studying them topically. Any questions or thoughts you want to add? All right, so the last thing we're going to talk about is developing thematic summary statements. Okay? So the book says, For the interpreter, the most helpful aid to ensure clarity and accuracy in synthetic interpretation is the thematic summary statement. It's a matter of considering a topic in all its literary manifestations, but then condensing it down to describe in writing what Scripture is teaching in a concise yet thorough summary. Okay? So we're going to look at an example of this. And I think I've got all these in your notes. I wanted you to be able to see how they uh, developed this, this uh, summary statement. Okay? So let's take an example of, let's say we wanted to study wealth and poverty in the, that motif in the book of Proverbs. Okay? And you, this is just an example. You could do this with tons of different things. But wealth and poverty. What you see here, I think in your notes, are different results you might find. So um, you, and, and you see the references to each of these in your notes. Lazy behavior results in poverty, while diligent results in, diligence results in wealth. However, poverty, poverty may also result from corruption and injustice. Uh, you study some more. A degree of practical security comes with wealth, while poverty results in numerous pitfalls. However, there's a limit to the security that wealth provides. Moreover, wealth may even become a liability. Mere talk leads to poverty, while diligent action brings prosperity. Furthermore, those who seek the benefits of wealth without working for it will find themselves in poverty. In a world where injustice is common, favoritism often benefits the rich. However, wealth without the peace of God has little benefit. Profit comes not only as a result of hard work, but also wise planning. Meanwhile, haste leads to poverty. Wealth brings power in society, while poverty results in servitude. Wealth gained through corruption will eventually be judged. Riches are a fleeting entity. The wise will not be consumed by the pursuit of wealth. Those who lack generosity will find themselves in poverty. While corruption is the bane of the rich, it is not exclusive to them. Okay? So what they've done here is they've done a search, uh, like we said, to find what are the relevant passages in Proverbs that touch on wealth or poverty. Okay? So they've probably searched wealth, riches, ideas like that, poverty, um, those, those sort of ideas, they've come up to this, these verses. They've determined, okay, these, these are the verses that are really speaking to this theme. And then what they've done is they've looked at that verse, that proverb, and they've tried to basically give a summary statement of what that, what is the gist of what is being communicated by this verse. Okay, so that's what we just read with the references. This is basically what this proverb is teaching when it comes to wealth or poverty. Okay, so it lays all that out. Now, once you've done that, Okay, so you could do this, again, the theme of crucifixion of the flesh. If you wanted to find those relevant passages, and then, okay, this is what Paul's saying here about this theme. Here's what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying here. Have a summary statement. Then the last step, this uh, thematic summary statement, is we're going to take the collection of all these summary statements, and we're going to try to bring it together to say, this is what God's Word teaches on this theme. Or this is, for this example, this is what Proverbs teaches when it comes to wealth and poverty, okay? And I put the example summary statement that they have. So they've taken all these different passages and they've tried to collect it. This is what the book of Proverbs talks about when it comes to the rich and the, the poor, poverty and riches, okay? 
So you see this example. There will always be some who are poor and some who are rich. Yet the reasons why some are rich and some are poor are multifaceted and not always in control of the individual. Some are poor due to misfortune, while others are poor due to their own laziness. Some are rich because of greed and corruption, while others achieve wealth through diligent behavior and wise planning. Wealth brings benefit and security, yet also can be a liability. Wealth is good at the moment, yet fleeting. Only the fool wastes his efforts in the pursuit of wealth. All things considered, a person may have an advantage in gaining wealth through hard work and discipline, yet ultimately wealth comes through the hand of God. Money is a blessing and to some extent a necessity, but the wise will learn to control it while the fool is controlled by the pursuit of wealth. So you see how they've tried to take those ideas of all those passages and what they taught and put them together, and this is what God's Word teaches, or this is what Proverbs teaches on wealth and poverty, okay? And as you notice, there's sometimes, um, there is, there's a word I'm looking for, um, there's a tension between some of those verses, right? Right? Some will say, uh, you know, well, you're poor because you're, you know, you're lazy. But then there's other verses, no, poverty may come from just circumstances, right? It may not be up to the individual. So they've tried to capture uh, that tension even in their summary statement, because that tension is communicated in God's word. That, you know, it's not just, well, if you're wealthy, you're diligent, and, you know, you're, you're following God and God's blessing you. Well, it could be because of corruption, and eventually there'll be judgment from that. So you see, even in the summary statement, in this theme, there's some tension where Scripture has tension. And so we don't want to just dismiss that um, and, and take one verse and say, well, there's tension, so we have to choose which one is correct. Well, they're both correct because they're both in God's Word. So that tension is brought through uh, even in that summary statement, okay? Any thoughts or questions when it comes to developing a summary statement like that? So this can just be a helpful tool as you're studying God's Word, as you find a theme in Scripture, uh, and you want to flesh out what does God's Word teach on that theme. Again, find the relevant content, find the passages, do your searches, use your discernment to determine is that really touching on that theme. Once you've collected those, you're summarizing what, what in the context of each of these passages is God communicating about this theme or this topic. Lay them out, and then you're going to try to collectively, okay, now let's bring it all together, and this is what God's Word teaches on that theme, okay? So, um, I think I've got a conclusion slide. Yeah, I put one of the quotes in there. But I like the way the book ended. Um, so they say, to avoid topical study is to ignore the very substance of Scripture. However, in the pursuit of topical study, you should be cautious not to impose artificial topical interests onto the biblical text. Okay? So even while we're studying things in a topical manner, we're, we're starting with passages of Scripture, we're understanding them in context, we're not just taking a topic and then proof texting, only finding the verses that support what we want, to communicate about a topic, we're finding what the authors of Scripture are seeking to communicate in context, okay? So we have to do this from time to time to understand those larger themes and motifs. A couple closing thoughts from the book, just uh, words of caution, I guess you could say. So they say, first of all, remember that different passages will provide different angles on content. There are places where tension within a motif is an essential component of Scripture's teaching on the subject. Learn to embrace tension when it's real 
and don't improperly resolve uh, complementary truths that stand in tension to Scripture. Okay, example: divine sovereignty and human responsibility, or faith and works. Right. Sometimes we we feel like, well, there's this tension in Scripture between these, and so we've got to choose one over the other. Well, no. If Scripture holds those in tension, we've got to try to hold that intention as well. Okay, um, not just say, well. You know, again, faith and works, right? We see Paul looking at it from one angle. Hey, it's faith alone. It's not works of the law. And then James says, well, it's faith and, and it's evidenced by works. Well, they're saying the same thing, but there's different angles. And so there is a tension that's meant to be there. So we don't want to just dismiss that tension and choose, you know, the, the lane we want to fall in or the, the error we want to make, okay? Error to one side or the other. The second thing they say is, second, understand that themes and motifs may extend between books of the Bible, but language will often shift from one author to the next. Okay, so this is important, even as we're looking for relevant passages on a theme. So he says, for instance, John frequently uses the imagery of light and darkness. And in his first epistle, he contrasts those who walk in light with those who walk in darkness. Meanwhile, Paul uses very different language, often referring to those who walk in the flesh and those who walk in the spirit. While these two biblical authors may be speaking to very different realities, it's worth exploring whether or not there's an overlap between them. So if we wanted to understand the theme of walking in light, and all we did was search for light, we're going to miss out on what Paul's talking about, walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh. And so those may be a very similar theme, and we want to study those together. So just things to be aware of. And at the end of the day, the more we study scripture, the more we read it, the more those things are going to stand out, the more we're going to be able to um, find those corresponding passages as we're studying a text and help us to have this big picture view of these themes that scripture wants to communicate. Okay. Any closing questions or thoughts before we wrap up? All right. If you think of any, let me know, but we'll close in prayer.